Happy Silly Sunday and welcome to another episode of Around the KBBL. I am your host, Troy Kennedy, and today we have a special segment as I have a co-host with me today on the show. Uh, welcoming in my old partner in crime from the Oklahoma City founder, Goulet. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you. Pleasure as always. Uh, it's always good to have you on. I'm glad to have you in the studio with me today. And um, I will already say, gentlemen, if there's a lot of Rutgers going on, it is bring your kids to work day today. So, you know, we'll see if we can get through this without anybody getting harmed. Um, Gulay, we're on the silly season. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, we've had the draft. We've had RFA. We're about to go into UFA. What are you most excited about? I think it's pretty obvious that I'm most excited about the Zion sweepstakes. And lots of teams have put the name in the hat for, for those sweepstakes. We're going to, you know, break it down as we go out throughout the show. Um, but first, before we even get into, into the draft, um, let's talk about some of the transactions that we've had uh, over the last couple of days. Um, leading up to the draft, as, you know, more and more teams are trying to um, create cap space. Um, any specific trades that you looked at the last couple of days that have kind of, you know, caught your attention before we go through them? Um, I'm quickly looking at trying to get caught up on some of the recent ones. I'm looking at, uh, looks like the Denver-Portland trade with Denver sending uh, Wolz- Wol- uh, Wol- Wolzaki Marvin Mosaki, uh, yes. To the Blazers for Rivera is an interesting deal. It's um, kind of a lateral move. I don't, I don't, I, or, or it was a positional. It's, de- it's definitely, in my, in my opinion, a positional move as, you know, um, the Blazers were stuck with two guys that only want to play the two and they had a little bit of a fight there between Jekos and Rivera. So I'm thinking making that move, as you said, lateral, but getting Volsaki will give you a little bit more flexibility in your wing. That's the uh, that's the only main reason I can see in that deal. Yeah, it's a good move. I guess uh, Rivera probably does give the Nuggets a little bit, maybe better defense overall, a little bit more rebounding at the two. It's probably a better overall balanced player, whereas Martin's going to give you the going to give you the scoring pop. So not, I can see that. That's a, that's a, that works for both teams. Not, not to mention the fact that, you know, I mean, Rivera is a year or two younger as well, if I, um, if I remember correctly. So, you know, it, it lines up that, that team a little better for, the, for Denver. Um, you know, if you're looking, looking over the last couple of moves or days of the moves, it, all that we've seen is a lot of uh, small, sadly, uh, dumping deals, um, you know, a couple second rounders get moved. Uh, however, uh, we did have one that happened during the draft where the uh, Pacers ended up sending your 52 pick to uh, Las Vegas and in return getting Dwayne Carter, Russell Red. Um, no, sorry. Uh, the Pacers are getting Dwayne Carter, Russell Red, and then the rights to Weston Jerrison, who was selected in that draft with his seventh pick. Um, how do you feel about that one? It was, I, I mean, I thought it was kind of a weird trade. It's funny that if we end up talking about the draft here, I was going to kind of use Jerrison as an example of as far as like <clears throat> Smath was, I think, really banging the drum hard for him. And I think everyone looks at his defense and 
I think some people fell in love with him pretty quickly. And I can see him uh, for, for what he brings on the defensive end, but I think he's still pretty offensively raw. Now, I guess if you're just looking at, hey, he's young, great base defensive ratings, that's great. Um, but I, if we're looking at the trade, I mean, I don't quite understand it. But at the same time, if you want to use you know, the fact that the Timberwolves themselves were better than my Thunder this past season, you know, I could see where, you know, they're probably looking towards it. But, I mean, you got to be pretty short-sighted if you really think that the Thunder aren't going to be – I don't even – you know, obviously without our pick, you know, we're most likely – you know, we're going to be pushing up into that playoff territory, especially where, you know, your brother's Knicks have their pick. They're probably not going to want to be in the playoffs. And, you know, compared to how things shook out towards the end of the year – you know, the, the Thunder, we were trying to, we were doing a lot of weird things as far as rolling out different lineups, trying to test people out. You know, Grant Jasper got a long look and he's clearly just not ready. You know, so now that we kind of can put, a, you know, a stabilized lineup around him, we draft a guy, you know, we're able to, we have some money in free agency, you know, to think that the Thunder would actually be worse is kind of silly, especially when you have a Heat team that has no talent, you know, that basically was riding out the season on their win total, you know, based on what they did in the first half of the year, you know, and the Knicks kind of came on a little bit late, but you know, the Knicks have, you know, guys like Holland who are going to head into free agency. And then of course they're going to pretty much try to purge any assets they can, you know, any veteran players as they move into their rebuild. So, you know, it kind of thrusts the thunder automatically into the eighth seat. So if you want to talk about that pick being like a, you know, 10 to 15 range, you know, that's for sure fair. So if you value that, you know, the, or, or there's the chance that something crazy happens, I get it, you know, but supposedly he wasn't going to take Jarrison there anyways with the pick. But, you know, I think, you know, something like that, he probably could have potentially got more. So, like, great deal for, I think, the Pacers. I don't think it's terrible value if the next draft ends up being pretty good. But, you know, I think the the Wolves probably would have been better served keeping that. But at the same time, you know, if it did end up also help them clear extra cap space to take a swing at Zion, you know, I get it. I mean, I like it. I like it for the Pacers, to be honest, because after all, you know, Jerison was one of the guys that a lot of GMs talked about post-draft, um, you know, how impressed they were with him and thinking it was a great pick in, in that spot. Um, but we'll get into that a little more as we, you know, talk about the draft, as I believe the Pacers, maybe one of the teams that probably had the better draft. Um, you know, you mentioned the Knicks and, 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 their, and where they're heading, and they made a couple moves, you know, m- leading up here to free agency where they're sent um, one trade and made with Toronto where they sent Donald Thompson, Nick Pappas and Lyle Robido. Um, and in return got Jer Klein, TC wall, Pablo Vargas and the Raptors 2053 first round pick. And then immediately turned around and send Klein onto a pick to Memphis uh, with Jer Klein. Um, that opened up more capsules for the Knicks, who are now actually sitting in the second most available capsules with twenty nine million. Um, so they're gonna they're gonna have some money to throw around come this offseason. Oh yeah, I mean it's again an incredible job that you know they they went from if they have how much how much money would that be on the books forty? Uh, yeah, they're <laughs> sitting about forty one million. Yes, so they went from what one twenty one twenty five down to forty one. <laughs> It's, uh, they've been busy in New York. That's incredible, incredible work so, by your brother. Um, so we'll see what they do, what they do with that money. But so that's basically, you know, the the, the main set of 
moves that we've seen here over the offseason that come up trade-wise. And I think it's been a slow market because most people do really not want to, you know, lose any cap uh, with obviously, you know, the biggest free agent out there being um, being Zion. So with that, let's, let's move into and, and recap the draft real quick here. Uh, Boston Celtics, of course, you know, have the least odds to get the number one pick, but do land the number one pick. And, you know, the guy that most GMs or a lot of GMs talked about in two mock drafts had going as number one was the point guard, Alex Sangrosolo, who the Celtics passed on and went with the uh, University of Toronto product, Santoro Prochor. Tell me, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that move? I think they made the right pick. I think um, some people were probably scared away from the level of competition from the Canadian, which I, I can understand. But the scouting seemed to be spot on there. You know, and I think obviously kudos to the Celtics. And, you know, I don't know if it was also a benefit of, you know, if he has this still this love for Haitian and wants to try to keep him in the mix, if that kind of played into it. I mean, he got lucky. Um, But as things would shake out, I just I I liked Alex as a prospect, but I just did not see him as 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 a top pick. You know, obviously, it looks like, you know, the skill sets there. But, you know, it's it's funny if you, you look at a guy like Alex and everyone falls in love with him and I love I, I like the idea that he's a combo guard you know but then you also look at a guy like Drayton that we got last year you know no one he's he's a few years older but he's pretty much almost the same guy and he kind of seems to be largely overlooked you know it's weird how kind of age and I guess the timing of how things shake out and obviously the two the two position of uh, eligibility makes him a lot more valuable but you know I think if we're looking at the Toronto pick or sorry the Boston pick I think they nailed it with Prodder I think I think they definitely got Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm losing you a little bit here, Goleo. Are you still there? Yep. There we go. Perfect. You were just breaking up a bit. All good. I hear you clearly now. No, I think they nailed it. I think they got I think they got the best player. I mean, in a draft where it looked like, you know, you had seven or eight guys and maybe three or four to choose from at the top, I think they I think they did the best. All right. Well, there we go. So number two uh, was the Las Vegas Timberwolves, who, you know, sitting with with two and eight in this draft. Obviously, this was pre-trade. And they go with the three position player in Preston Ballards, who, um, you know, one of the experts in um, Leonard from the scouting can't decide nothing was really, really high on going into this draft. Um, What is your response to Wolves going with Ballard's at two. Well, I think <clears throat> the funny thing about Ballard's is I, I believe his comp was, uh, was Rolex, correct? Um, let me go back and take a look at that <clears throat> real quick. Cause it, it, it uh, kind of has it, the, the pit, the ultimate play. You know, I mean, I just think it, it reeks of Rolex. Just if you, if you just look at the guy. Yeah. Um, and you may be right about this. Let me find him real quick here. I have still all the scouting information up here. Just got to make sure I find, uh, fine. Right, here we go. Rolex sharp, absolutely good call. Yeah, well I mean, the, the, it, look, if if I'm correct, I want to say Rolex had the same positional eligibility, um, very similar skill set. Um, Rolex might have been a little bit better on defense, but offensively, I think Ballard is ready to go. Now, long term, you're going to worry about is this a guy that you could potentially play at power forward? Because I want to say that Rolex was a guy that people eventually did try to do that with. Um, so, is he going to be a wing? But I mean, at the same time you're getting a lot from him on the offensive end. You know, if you kind of just at a, at a quick glance, he's got a different, different, I was kind of looking at just eyeballing him as far as some passing and, and the defense. I think that you, 
he's pretty much going to be the an offensive type player, and you're going to hope he wants to get a little bit more progression. So it's, I mean, and that's and that's kind of where it falls off. It just ends up being like, you know, did you think his defense would potentially be better? So only time will tell. You know, but as a second pick, I think you probably would want a little bit more defense out of him. But offensively, I think he's going to be fine. Uh, and obviously, plenty of room to grow. <laughs> um, now, with that, with these two picks, Alex Sangasolo, who several GMs thought was going to be the, the number one pick, falls to three to the Houston Rockets, who now have another guy that can play point guard. I mean, already having more and Burns on the team and now adding, adding Sangasolo. You know, you either have your rotation set now for years to come or you have a massive trade ship with those three sitting on your roster. Well, I think what's also interesting about the Rockets is that the Rockets will be one of the teams that, you know, I know one of the goals we wanted to look at today is I believe there are 11. Is it 11 teams with cap space to sign Zion? Yes, and they're they are the one they're the last team in. And they're the last they team have in just, just enough to to get, to make a bid at Zion. So, kind of the idea was we wanted to look at the impact any team could have. And I mean, clearly there's a couple others, but if we, you know, they're they're the team with the least amount of money, but to sign a guy like Zion for this team would have one of the more major impacts to a franchise because they're kind of ready to go now. So, if they kind of built this roster to be ready to go and then added a player like Zion, would just be monumental, but I mean the the, the building blocks are there. I I love the love the, the young talent that they've put together. They have nailed it in the draft. So for being a new GM, um, they've done really well. Uh, I will say the same. Uh, big big kudos to to Wayne and the Rockets, who you know who is newer in the league, but kind of been sitting in the shadows, you know, taking his time, building slowly, not making a lot of noise, and you know, boom, here we are. And I said the Rockets are ready to pounce. So uh, they and with the lineup that they have, this is a team that's going to be relevant for years to come. Yeah, and 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 the nice thing is you you got a lot of balance as far as regardless of the fact if they have overlapping parts, is they don't have one dimensional players. You know they have a little bit. You know like maybe they want to get a little bit better on the defensive end, but you have guys that can play defense. You have a lot of guys that can pass. You know, you, you have some playmaking, you have some scoring. So it's 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 nice because now they can potentially go in multiple directions when it talks when you when you think about like filling out the rest of this roster. Yeah, I mean if if you look at it, I mean the, the oldest guy right there that's, that's they still that's have Barber back player is, is Barber. They still have Barber who's on the contract for four more years. But after that, I mean you got you know Burns twenty-four, you got Praxis twenty-three, Golden twenty-one. Smith, 22, more 22. Now they obviously add another youngin. Um, this is this is a fun team that can that can grow together. Yeah, I so, think the future well, well the future is bright in Houston. Honestly, excellent job for for Wayne. How how many seasons has he actually even been the GM? Is it? All, it's probably I been less than. A, I think this was his third, right? That's I incredible. That's an third. incredible turnaround by that franchise. Yes, I I agree. So kudos, kudos to Wayne. Um, so moving on. The Nets had the fourth pick, um, and with that selected center, Dakron Velvax, that was the guy that you know most mock drafts and GMs expected to go for. And I don't think they went wrong with that pick. I think that seemed, he seems like a very solid centerpiece uh, for for roster that just desperately needs any talent. Yeah, I think if you look at you, you, you were hoping that the def- the defense was there, and the fact that you have defense, obviously we knew that the blocks would be there, but the fact that he looks like he can, he'll be able to hold up in the low post. Um, if he gets, you know, the offensive skill set 
is super unique. That was obviously something that came under fire with our team last year when we were looking at, you know, the fact that we were trying to accumulate guys that could shoot the three. And, you know, there was this gaping hole at center. I want to say the Knicks and your brother had Whitaker. Whitaker was one of the few guys who could actually shoot at the center position. So to be completely honest, when you hit me up with that podcast late in the season and you kind of talked about, was there anybody that we were eyeing on the down low? This was the guy that we wanted because of course, He's a, he's a unicorn in the fact of his three-point shooting at the center position. Now, yeah. it, for our team, again, we talk about best player available because we already had two bigs, but there was no way I was going to pass that up. You know, So I was hoping that somehow he would kind of go overlooked a little bit. Maybe some of these other guys would, would have been a little bit better. And, you know, of course, our pick dropped a couple spots. So, you know, we were, we were close to that. But he's nice. I, I think if, if he progresses in the right direction, he could be really good. The biggest fear would be, you know, we had a guy, I don't want to say similar, but, you know, a guy like Frey, who looked like he had the offensive skill set, especially from, from the three-point. If that three-point goes south, that's his biggest asset. So if he somehow can't loses his efficiency, you know, or just somehow becomes ineffective at shooting the three, that could completely ruin him. But you can't, you can't expect the worst. So, you know, I think they nailed it with that pick, like you had said earlier. I think we kind of agreed that, what, there was four probably top guys mix and match where they were going to go. So I think this is probably where you had to drop off after four. So, you know, good pick by the Wolves. Nice building block. There we go. Um, so then the Kings were sitting at five, and they took the small forward in grunge. Um, and then right after the Pacers took, took Stan Kowalski, the power forward at six. Um, Kowalski, Kowalski is the guy that I personally thought looking at this draft could have snuck in the top four. Uh, so getting him at six, I think, is a great value pick. For the Thunder, um, how do you feel about Grunge and Kowalfa at five six? Well, Pacers got Kowalfa, and I got I got Sled, I got uh, yeah. I got Glo- I got Glow KC, Mister Glow Vassal. He's ready. To yes. Go. Uh, okay, so that's so that's an interesting mix because of course that's that's where I fell into. So on my board, I I honestly like I know that uh, that your boy Land had me picking Grunge, which. You know, of course, the irony of ironies, if anyone's been around here for you know more than more than the last 10 to 15 seasons, you know, one of the major lightning rods for controversy was Brick. You know, your boy Brick, your your brother's boy from the Knicks who had who ended up falling off. You know, the potential was there for him. Obviously, I believe he was the top pick in the draft and just never ended up panning out. Yes, he was the Knicks number one pick. One yep. of the few that we've had. Number one pick. I mean, the, the talent was there offensively, but he just seemed like he didn't quite develop fully and then kind of started to fall off. And of course had the major huge contract, you know, he was obviously a similar guy almost to like Rafi and, you know, kind of a, you're scoring small forward. And, you know, when I see that, Oh, great. We have someone penciling in a, a, a small forward score for us at that spot. who doesn't play defense. I'm like, Oh, here we go again. We've been down this path before, but while I know that we're, our team is still going to lack scoring, I just didn't want to get stuck with a guy that was kind of all offense and didn't have defense. I kind of want to go with a different direction with this, with this team rebuilding process here in Oklahoma city. So I was kind of hoping that either some guys that we were targeting would still be available. Or of course, someone, you know, jumped up and took him. Now he's better than I thought he was, you know, offensively, you know, the off the, the offense is there. He's still got a little bit of defensive playmaking, which is nice. You know, the brick comparison is pretty accurate. He kind of does a little bit of everything on the offensive end. So he could end up being a really good offensive player if he develops correctly. But again, the big knock was the defense wasn't there. 
you know, so I feel like I dodged the bullet in that sense. But if you don't care about that, the offense is really good, you know, so I think he falls in that range where anybody could have taken him. So that, you know, I think Kings did fine. If, 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 you know, if, if that's who they wanted, they did fine. And then of course you ended up with now two of the higher graded players left. Now we know that the way scouts end up grading guys is, I feel like regardless of all the guys giving these guys a B grades, you know, there is a little bit of method there where I feel like if the list is one to 20 and your guy has a similar grade and he's towards the top of the list, there's a reason. So when you started to see some of these guys that weren't considered scores, but had high grades, you have to start wondering what type of skill set were they bringing to the table for the league to give them such high grades. So, you know, we knew that Kowaltha was Kowaltha the comparison to your boy Parsons. Uh, go back to Kowaltha. I believe you are correct. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The a little, the little bit of everything, guy. Yeah, right? a little bit so... of everything. The rebounding, the passing. Um, obviously, I think the big, the big. So if you're, I know some people ended up not really liking Glow Vassal, so we can get on him in a second because, of course, we're focusing on how the Pacers nailed it. I was talking to actually Bubbles the other day because, of course, Bubbles would be the type of GM that would like a guy like Kowaltha, but especially a guy like. Glovassel. So it's funny that I don't think a single person mentioned Glovassel in the entire just discussion as far as anything, which kind of shocked me. But then, of course, you got somebody like Bubbles who hits me up because, you know, he sees that balanced defensive skill set. And he kind of brought up a good point that a guy like Glovassel is kind of ready now, whereas a guy like Kowaltha long term. I mean, he's Kowaltha is kind of almost like a DPJ light type player in the sense that the rebounding's there. He's got some passing. He's got the defensive playmaking. The nice thing is he's not going to turn the ball over. And he looks like he's already got, you know, the balanced defensive skill set that could develop. Now, sure, you want him to probably be able to defend better against the drive, but he could end up being, you know, a point forward in the sense of the way DPJ was. And he's only 20. So if this guy develops and gets any sort of additional defensive playmaking, <clears throat> he's not going to score. But that's kind of the bigger knock on a guy like DPJ is that he's super inefficient and he has a little bit of a turnover issue. So, you know, Kowaltha, if we're talking about overall value, you know, he could he could technically be, if, I'm, if we're kind of looking back on the guys we talked about, I almost would look at him as far as almost being the second best player. Yeah, as I said, I, I really like, I, I was sure that he would end up in the top four. Um, you know, even despite the um, mock drafts that we saw, I just thought that he had potential to, to sneak in there. So, the, as I said, for the Pacers to snag him at six and then double down with Weston Jarrison at eight after that trade, I think they've absolutely nailed uh, They nailed that draft. And, oh, and then also, know, real quick about Kowalta, is, is it, I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I feel like Kowalta was the highest-graded player overall, regardless of the, the of his grade being a B and being similar to the other guys. I think he was the highest player on the board. So the fact that there was no scoring there has to tell you that this guy has something. This yes. guy has something that people are seeing that's making him this valuable. So when those guys start to slip, I mean, unless you're worried about their shooting inefficiency, you can kind of pigeonhole and put together the puzzle and think, well, this guy has something that people aren't paying attention to. But, I mean, yes. he only still went to, what, six? So it's not like he fell too far. Um, so that brings us then to, to your boy, uh, Seva Glovassel, that you took at seven. We've kind of already discussed Jerison, who went at eight to, to uh, Indiana after a trade. So tell me about your selection and your thought process. Well, Jerison kind of was was off my board to a degree because I felt like he was going to be too redundant to, to Kubo. 
it sounded like he literally was who we thought he would be as far as the, the defensive uh, player. You know, so while it, it would have been nice uh, to still take a defensive wing, clearly I was focused on figuring out that small forward position spot. You know, right now our, our roster only really had the three-point gunners. And while they got a little bit better, the problem is I was hoping to get a little bit better defensive progressions from them in off season. And it just didn't, it looks like they didn't hit the, hit the gym as hard as they could have. So while I think they're going to still give me a potential mismatch shooting wise is I still wanted to kind of fill that spot. Now, of course, Kubo can still play the three. So it was also like, you know, if it, I, I, I down, obviously I talked bad about, you know, Sanger solo a little bit earlier, but that was more so when he was picked, you know, if, if Sanger solo was a guy that slipped down to me, I would have, you know, I could, I could have taken him at the two and, moved Kubo over to three. So that was possible. <clears throat> but I also wanted to look at, I really didn't want to take grunge. Um, and I was hoping a guy like Seva would slip. And then, you know, similar to obviously Kowaltha, I was one pick away from Kowaltha. But then the other guy I didn't necessarily want to take was Vanev. Vanev sounded a little bit too much like grunge. And he is looking very similar, but he's definitely a further step down in the sense that his offense is there, but he doesn't really have much defensive playmaking, you know, so I kind of wanted to go with a guy who could probably give me a better all around game. And I'm, I'm a lot happier with, you know, Glovassel after kind of, we got him in house and, you know, we've seen, we've kind of looked at even more tape and we're very excited about what he brings to the table. Now we might have too much defense and not enough scoring, you know, so we are one of those teams that has cap space that we, you know, we'll talk about later on that needs, but it's like, as far as a building block, we don't mind taking these older guys. He's one position. He's basically going to be a small forward. We know he can't play the two. He's not quick enough for the two and he's not big enough for the four. So yeah, he's pigeonholed into the three and that's probably why he fell on people's boards, but the way our team is constructed, it made sense. So it fits and he's going to probably start from day one. There we go. So nice, nice pick for the Thunder there with the, uh, uh, with the seventh pick. So Jarrison went then to at H after after the trade. Um, you know, I think that as far as I know, the Knicks were really heavily into trying to trade for that pick as well. Um, obviously, it didn't work out as he ended up going with the Pacers. Um, the ninth, the Miami Heat had their first pick of of multiple in this. In this draft, they have a second second pick coming at eleven. So they took Thorsten Leacher, uh, small forward at nine. The Grizzlies then took Cornelius Vanus um, at ten, and then the Heat picked again at Cube uh, the center Sammy Cubic at eleven, and that was the pick they had from the Knicks. Uh, talk me through those three picks real quick. Any any reactions to those? Uh, well, real quick, I do want to talk about Jerison because, of course, the fact that Jerison can play the two and the three, you know, and he does have the rebounding to be able to play the three. If that defense comes along to be a little bit better, where he just you know can get a little bit a little bit bigger, um, you know, he he could potentially be a much better player than Globasso technically because of the position eligibility. You know, just the offense worries you right off the bat. So I think you know. Jerison in that spot, you know, as the Heat were targeting him, you know, obviously I think that's the perfect spot for him. The fact that he ends up being flipped to the Pacers again, they nailed it because they got a guy that, you know, people coveted, you know, after everything was seen. Um, I feel like Leacher's kind of a, Leacher was kind of a Jerison guy, but maybe not as, I need to take a look at him. Well, Leacher, Leacher's younger, but he's definitely, He's kind of way off, Jerison. Who else was taken in that range? I'm not, 
I don't know. I really don't like Leecher, to be honest. Leecher's young, so so it, anything can happen. But as far as the wing, I think he would have probably wanted a little bit more playmaking on defense. I know that he can block from that position, which is nice. Now, his defensive positioning, I think, is key. That's nice. Um, he's got a little bit more volume offense that's better than Jarrison at this age, um, <clears throat> considering his age. So he might be a little bit better well-rounded, but you know we know how Smath obviously missed his guy by one pick. Is Smath would prefer the defensive player? It's you know it's funny that Smath almost ended up with a guy like Bell. We you know who Bell is one of his one of his favorite guys from his most recent run. So I guess he would hope that long-term Leacher would become that. And I guess it's ironic that what the Wolves said that they were going to take Leacher over over Jarrison. Yeah, um, I mean, as I said, with, with, with Smith, probably because um, looking age. for the defensive player. Now, if you look at Leacher, though, I said he is pretty. Um, I was going to say he's pretty consistent in his defense, and you know, with room to grow, um, you can see him becoming, you know, an all-round defender uh, for, for on the wing position. Yeah, I think, again, like I said, you probably want to get more long-term defensive playmaking, but the base skill set is definitely there. And I do like the fact that he has a little bit better base skill set, you know, right now as far as scoring than maybe Jarrison does. I mean, they're similar, but, you know, the fact that he's a couple years younger and is a little bit better already off the bat <clears throat> means, sorry, excuse me, that you're kind of good to go. But I think the big one here we got to look at is, is a guy like Kubowick. Am I pronouncing that properly? Kubowick, yes. <clears throat> is that... He was a guy that was much further down as far as people grade, but I think they kind of nailed it. Where I mean, the Jodson comparison was just spot on. Spot, I agree. Spot, I could not be any better if you tried. Uh, because right off the bat, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be offense impact, but the defense just isn't there, uh, or at least not yet. Well, the, it's it's not there yet, and I and I think that again, you know, his defensive positioning could be potentially exploited. But the point is, you know, he's he's twenty one. You know, the offense is like, you, he's he's startable right now. Yeah, I guess if, if you look at his, obviously, you know, a guy like Horace Akongo on the Pacers is a guy like, you know, obviously he has a lot of passing. And he's a guy that you drafted, that the Clippers drafted, I think. Did the Clippers draft him? And then they flipped him to the Pacers? Correct. And he was a guy that was kind of, you looked at, you knew he was going to be offense with no defense, very similar player. But, you know, again, the fact that you the Heat, you know, arguably reached and took a guy at 11 that looks like, you know, he could potentially be a steal if he can, if he can shoot better from the line. I mean, the fact that his rebounding, the offensive, he could bang the offensive glass. He's got some blocks, you know, time will help him with his little bit of his turnover problem. I mean, again, he's startable right now. And for a team like that, that has no talent, you know, three to four seasons, if the defense progresses, I mean, he could be a really high end scorer from the center position. Yes, yes, I agree. So that's a great pick at eleven. I think just as a value pick, it's it, it's pretty, it's pretty solid. Um, which then takes us to the Houston Rockets at twelve with their second pick, um, and they took a center as well in Leon Sockbits. Um, if we're looking at Sockbits real quick, um, you know, besides one of the better names in this draft, clearly, um, he he's a little bit of a work in progress, but already at twenty three, so that might worry you a little bit. Well, it, and, and the, but similar to what we had said earlier about the Rockets, I, and you did, you mentioned uh, Moore, <clears throat> and the one mistake is Moore is actually already twenty five. Yes. Um. But so that so Sockets kind of does fall in line with the fact that they've taken a lot of young players, but they haven't necessarily cared about age. 
you know, and that was kind of a direction that I went in last year, you know, with my squad, with a guy like Duckworth and Drayton. But, you know, the fact that offensively the, he gives them a little bit of extra passing um, at that spot in the draft, I don't think they did anything wrong. If they're looking at, you know, best, best player available, you know, I think he's, he's a really nice base talent as far as I think from that position. I mean, you might want a little bit more defense, but by the time that he, if he, you know, 25, 26 and building with that core, I think it's fine. I mean, that still could be a, it's an asset regardless. It's not like he whiffed on that pick. No, no, no. I, I agree <clears> on <throat> that one. Uh, so we're moving on. Takes us to the 13th pick, uh, which was the Cleveland Cavaliers. who so had two picks as well, close together. They sandwiched the jet, uh, the Nets 14th pick with their own at 15. Um, so the Cavs take Scott Sealine's power forward at, at 13. Um, the Nets take Otis Gakkerman's another big, uh, the power forward at 14. And then the Cavs take our, our Euro edition and Walter Manara, a power forward at 15. Um, any big surprises right there? Or are we going to kind of as expected now? Um, not entirely sure. Obviously, the, the Euro was, uh, the international player was expected to be taken in that spot. Um, now, the irony is that the international player is very similar in the sense of sea lines that kind of redundant, but I almost feel like, you know, the international player looks to be the fact that he's got multi-position eligibility is going to give him rebounding, um, you know, and some, some, some defense. I mean, I think that that's a player that is definitely going to be a rotational player, you know, for, for a team for years to come. So I like Monara a lot. Um, I think he's a really nice, solid pick there. The fact that he slipped even further and he got him at his next pick was even better. Um, a guy like C-Lines, what bothers me a little bit is, is again, he doesn't have the positional versatility that Manara has, you know, and I think you'd probably want, <clears throat> you probably want a little bit more out of C-Lines right now. You know, his defense looks like it could be there, but the fact that he's going to be kind of pigeonholed in that power forward spot is, I don't think overall he's going to give you enough that you're going to see a ton of minutes from him. Uh, I don't know that this guy would ever really potentially be a starter, but again, the role-playing and the defensive playmaking, the fact that it's there, I mean, that's, again, an, an asset. And I think the Cavs are in that kind of mode where they're just trying to take best players available, see what can happen, see what can stick. You know, and then, again, they have all these extra assets. But I know it seems like between the last couple of seasons, doesn't seem like there's been a person more frustrated with how things have fallen out during drafts as the Cavs. He always seems like he keeps missing his guy by a couple slots. You know, obviously – the draft and the fact that it didn't work out for them with him with a lot of the season. So you know, I feel like there's a team that's ready. They're right there. They're kind of the flip side of the Rockets. They just haven't had things fall their way. Yeah, no, I, <clears> I, I agree with you on that. Well, one. I, I, I could actually, I'm probably wrong because they did land the first pick last season. So that's... tough to go, tough to complain about that. Yeah. One, but tough yes, to complain about this... that, but I guess, yeah, I guess it's like with these extra things that they were hoping for. I mean, again, the Cavs team could be right there. They could be so much better if they just had a little bit more luck. Yeah, I mean, just the guys <clears throat> didn't really fall to them as they wanted, and that trend actually continued um, later on in this draft because uh, I know for a fact, having talked to um, the GM of the Cavs as well, there was another guy that he was actually targeting and trying to trade for actively in the late stages of this round. Um, you know, at 16, the Pacers went again and they took uh, power forward Keon Skyrings. And then at 17, the Knicks took the point guard Grimes Mizzleship. And I know for a fact that the Cavs were trying to trade to get that guy with either one of those picks. Um, and then at 18, the Charlotte Hornets took Tim Ahimia. Um, 
what do you feel about those three picks? Any comments you have uh, have right there? Um, no, I think uh, I think you nailed it. The Cavs are the type of team that love a guy like Mizzleship. You know, they're fine with a guy that can't score but can pass and play defense. You know, there's a guy that you know he's gonna. The fact that he's 20 and can already play defense and pass a little bit. These guys that you know don't necessarily score but can do everything else that you want from a point guard will have long-term value in the league. You know, so again, that's an awesome, great value pick. Just shows the depth here of the draft. Um, Ahemia, uh, you know, really nice guy. If you look at, if you look at, if that defense, I'm sorry, if that offense can kind of come around and be a little bit more efficient. I mean, there's a guy that, you know, the defense is kind of already there. You know, he's a little bit undersized for that spot as far as you probably want a little bit more rebounding from him. But, you know, he can pass. He's got the defensive playmaking. I think if he's a guy that's probably a wing, I mean, that's an absolute thief at that spot if he could play the two. But the fact that he maybe was pigeonholed into the three made him slip a little bit. But it's another really good value pick for the Hornets there. It looks like he's kind of already ready to go there, you know, at the small at the small forward spot. Yeah, and Team Mahimia actually, you know, I, I'm talking to the GM of, of the Heat is the perfect type of Miami Heat uh, player that Smath likes, you know, that defensive defensive wing um, which is also, you know, ironic because if you if you shuffle the the letters around, Tim Ahim, you actually can spell Miami Heat. So that, that was kind of funny little nuance to that, a coincidence or not. Um, but um, the funny thing, talk about Mizzleship going to Knicks at seventeen. I know for a fact that Andre from the Knicks, that was the guy he was hoping and targeting all along uh, come this draft at seventeen, being his only or his highest pick in the draft or only pick at that point after after recent trade. Yeah, so the fact all. that he got that guy at 17, I know was was exciting for the Knicks. That's that's really who they wanted. They brought him in early for, um, for camp or no, not for camp, but for for workouts, and um, you know, got their guy at 17. So g- good job for the Knicks right there. And they were worried about that a team like the Cavs would take him, um, you know, a couple spots ahead. But obviously that didn't didn't work out. Um, so moving on, 19, the Suns took Jason Newrazzle, the shooting guard, and then. At 20, this is a fun one. The Clippers took uh, shooting guard Spearson's Cole Sping- Spindler, who has not only ties to the Clippers, but also has Merlin Roar written all over him. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't, I'd, I'd like to see. I, I feel like I wasn't paying attention as much as when a guy like Roar got drafted. So I don't know if Roar looked like this when he got drafted. But, you know, the incredible lack of defense, you know, from this guy was kind of noted from the beginning. and. You know, the fact that he has a little bit of passing is fun, but uh, I'm not sure how playable he is from day one, you know, but, but the offensive skill set is interesting. If he, if he somehow develops that game even further, you know, the guy's going to shoot. I don't know if, if Roar started this bad, like I said, but I mean, again, you're taking a guy like what Roar was taken. I think I looked, it was like 13, 14. Yeah. It's, it was, <clears throat> you know, towards the middle of the round. So, I mean, in this type of draft, if you're just throwing a dart here in the 20s, um, honestly, I would I was going to do the same thing. I mean, I've had guys like that on my roster. Conway, you know, has a little bit better defense, a little bit more passing, but he's probably just as bad on the defensive end. Um, you got to I've, – I've historically had Castillo. I've never shied away from these guys because, again, maybe you never start him, but if he's a guy that you bring off the bench, who cares? And, like, I mean, Roar. Roar was the league MVP, right? Uh, yes, he was indeed. And I mean, it probably helps that the guy could shoot, you know, 50 to 60% from the two spot. That's a big deal. You know, if, if, 
if if Spearson's is a guy that can really only shoot 40%, it's moot. So it really is just going to depend on how he can potentially develop offensively. But the fact that he's multi-position eligible, he could become some bizarre mismatch at the four. Who even knows? But it's funny that, you know, if, if you want a GM that's going to have a, a, a toy like this is, of course, you know, MX Clippers owner is, is the kind of guy that you'd want to have with this. So it'll be interesting to see if he sticks and he kind of keeps him along because they're in win now mode. But there's a guy that you can kind of just fool around with off the bench if he wants to. So, you know, it's a perfect landing spot for him. And, you know, I feel like he's not useless. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I think he's going to be a fun guy to watch here over the next five seasons. Yeah. So, you know, let's go through the last uh, actually six picks rather quickly here. So as we're moving on into RFA and UFA. But um, the Nets had the third out of four. Actually, they had five picks in the first uh, 27. Um, their third pick at 21, uh, the Nets end up selecting uh, shooting guard Hawk Stone Roots, which I think is a great value pick at 21. Um, then you were up and you at, you know went with the theme of the Thunder, which is three-point shooting, uh, with shooting guard Adrian Pacina. So I want to hear your take on that. Um, and then the Grizzlies took Garrison Oldwater as a point guard at 23. The Trailblazers took Senator Bill Sakao at 24. Um, the Hawks got drunk with Theo drunk at 25. And then the Nets uh, round out the first round with point guard Phineas Noxus, uh, another one of those fun names to say. Um, talk to me about these selections, if there's anything that, you know, opened up your eyes. And then talk to me about your thought process with taking Piscina. Well, for some reason, our, our scouting department had things mixed up, and we somehow thought Bohemia was Piscina. So when the Hornets took Bohemia, we thought we were losing our 3G, uh, our ability to shoot. I mean, we wanted even more shooting, so that would have been fun. And, and of course, he ended up landing in our lap. We probably would have taken Stone Roots because we thought he was going to be a little bit more of a mismatch. Um, so we would have taken Stone Roots, who I, I thought was going to be better after taking a second look. Um, so we're very happy, of course, with Piscina. It was pretty much, you know, hey, let's get the let's get the three point gunner from the point guard spot. We're glad that he can pass it all. I mean, the nice thing is, again, he can play the two. So if he becomes a supplemental bench player, we're going to have to figure out what we do with Conway and and um, and Piscina. But the fact that we can get even more three point shooting, you know, out of that point guard spot since Drayton, you know, has been crushing it over the off season. Wait till you see this guy shoot from three next year. Um, we're, we're excited. We're excited. We're just a little bit worried that, you know, there's a lot of extra shooting going on in the league right now that, you know, once the season starts, you know, it might be defended more and we feel like it might not be as effective as, as, as we think it could be when we're looking at it right now. But you no, know, we're, we're, we're very happy that that someone like that slid because, you know, earlier in the season, you look at the fact that we had the Sonics pick, it looked like if the Sonics couldn't get things together, that pick would be, you know, better. You know, so the fact that we ended up with a, a useful player at pick 22, I'll live with that. It's fine. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, somebody like the Blazers actually at 24 getting a pretty safe pick in, in Bill Sakao um, at, at center. Uh, it was a pretty good Valley pick in, in my opinion. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, he's, he can score. He can rebound. You know, his defense isn't empty. You know, um, he's fine. I think there's a guy that, you know, could at least be a, at least be a backup right off the bat. And, you know, if he develops, he's going to be kind of one of those slow bigs, but you know, he's, he's definitely at least on a roster. Yeah. Some of these guys at the end of the draft, you know, you're looking at it this is a really nice deep draft where you end up taking guys that won't even make a roster that, you know, you're, you're saddled with their salaries for a few years and you don't really, they end up just being throw-ins to trades repeatedly. And the fact that, 
we've got a, a full round deep is is kudos to this draft class. So yeah, so this draft class, this was a this was a fun draft class indeed to follow, especially because you know you look at um the scouting reports, it's like there wasn't a clear number one and there, you know, you couldn't really you you redraft this ten times. I think we we might end up with ten different um, ten different ways this happens. I agree. So, uh, so so this this was fun indeed. So with that, let's segment out of out of the draft and let's get into um, you know the rest of the silly season, which of course is the restricted free agency and unrestricted free agency. There wasn't a ton to talk about in RFA, um, you know, as the guys that, you know, re-signed with the current teams are Rafael Huertas from the Raptors who took the, the Raptors offer and Ferenc from the Pacers who took the, the Pacers offer. So there wasn't even anybody signing an, um, an offer sheet, which was, which was very interesting. Um, so if you look at the guys who took the qualifying offer, you got Bamazi, Ibekwe, um, Hassan, Ops, Khan, they all took the qualifying offers, but for instance, an interesting one with Bumazi is he rejected a five times ten million dollar offer from the Knicks to take the qualifying offer. Well, the Knicks have the only thing I can think of is that the Knicks have the Knicks have Lander. You know, they're going in a different direction. You know, so it could just be very simple as the Knicks didn't offer him as much money as he could potentially think he could make long term on the open market. You know, if, if he figures out, obviously he wouldn't be a free agent until next season. But clearly there's 11 teams that have cap space. So he might yeah. have just been looking at it long term. You know, that might just not be the best for us. And I know that the Knicks were potentially looking at a guy like Bimazi just as as far as an asset. But maybe he kind of saw through that. Maybe he didn't want to sign less money um, to ultimately be shipped around. Whereas now, you know, he could still be extended and then... Again, he could get more money just on a base extension, or he might just be saying, you know what, I'm going to prove my worth. I'm going to go out here. I'm going to shoot above. I'm going to shoot better than everyone thinks I can. And I want to, I want to get a much bigger contract in the off season. So, you know, kind of a guy that stuck to his guns that you would have thought would have maybe just taken the guaranteed money, but you know, he just, man, he, he maybe just didn't want to go to the Knicks. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, I mean, that, that could, that could be definitely a, um, that could be a good decision right there. Maybe not to go play for the Knicks. So that makes that makes sense. Um, but you know, not a lot of. It wasn't a ton of money thrown around. There weren't a lot of offers out there. And I mean, the only thing I can think about is that everybody's just hanging on to their dollars so tightly because of who is sitting out there in UFA. Oh, agreed. I mean, there weren't that many players available. Obviously, Huertas was the was the prize of this, and you know, he got extended in in, in <clears throat> inside. He uh, he didn't even have to didn't even have to worry about matching an offer. So, you know, for for one of the bigger free agent classes, obviously, it, mainly because of Zion is, it's it's a lackluster free agency overall. When you look at, you know, there really wasn't a lot of RFA money to throw on because it would have been would have maybe taken more people out of the out of the mix. You know, some people would have had to already sign their own guys, and you know that wasn't even a problem. So now you have eleven teams staring at Max Cat. Exactly. And you and I will get down to breaking that down after this short break. So we're going to take a short break on the show and then we'll be back with Goulet and we'll break down uh, this UFA class and the 11 teams that are all hoping to sign Zion. So we'll be right back with you. <laughs> we are back on around the KVBL. And with us is still from the Oklahoma City Thunder, Mr. Goulet. 
Um, let's dive into this UFA class. And of course, we all know the number one guy on the board is Zion Johnson and where all he could land. Um, we have discussed, or we've talked about how there's 11 different teams that have the cap space. Let me go through real quick um, who we have on that list. And then you talk us through your thoughts of, you know, potential landing spot for Zion. Sure. All right. So let's just go from top to bottom. Who has the most cap space? Um, the Kings have the most. They're sitting at $32.53 million, followed by the Knicks, who have 29.82. The Heat have 28.6. The Nets have 24.9. The Pacers at 23.8. The Lakers, 23.14. The Sonics, 19.78. The Celtics, 19.28. Your Thunder at 18.88. The Wolves, 17.86. And then last but not least, the Rockets at 16.8, which brings us to 11 teams. All right. What are your thoughts going into this UFA? Well, the first thing I want to look at is, so we have 11 teams with cap. Then we start actually looking at the list here, because I think we can kind of narrow down the discussion pretty quick is, you know, we got Zion on the top of the board. You know, after Zion, you got, you know, probably Larry Jones Jr., which we'll get into in a second when we talk about the Sonics, which is pretty incredible that he's on on here. You got Emil Elliott coming from the jazz, who is a huge part of that team because he played so many roles. Um, and then there's just a lot of role players. I think after that, some teams, some guys that can help people, but this is not a class. I think last year, you know, we did the live, the live results and we had a lot of impactful guys, I think, whereas this year we don't, the one guy I omitted was for a reason. We can start this before we get into the Zion discussion is Percy Soto. So the league, um, the Bulls had one last run in them, which put them into the penalty zone where um, the rest of the league had to vote on who they thought was their best player or wanted the Bulls to have to lose, you know, and inside the organization, you know, they were kind of wondering who it would end up being. So, you know, the options of who, who people could kind of look at, it was uh, um, Kaba, the point guard shooting guard, um, Craig Jones, who just signed a massive contract last year by the Kings and then was flipped back to the Bulls. And then, of course, uh, Percy Soto. Uh, and now Percy Soto ended up winning the vote. He had 10 votes. I think Kaba came in second with six. Um, and, you know, Percy Soto became the free agent, which is one of the things that you might have done a little bit more research than me. And I don't really know the motivations of people, but it really surprised me that people would have them lose Soto instead of Kaba, because when I look at the two players, Kaba's younger. I think he's got a little bit more of a dynamic skill set. Um, Soto, I mean, can, is, so, can, is Soto power forward center, or can he play small forward? He, um, let me take a look at that real quick. I believe he is only power forward center. But I'm going to take a look at that real quick. Let's find Percy Soto. Percy Soto, Percy Soto, where are you? There he is. He actually is power forward, small forward. So he's okay. So yeah, I so. The, I think the small forward eligibility, I can see where it gives him a little bit more value. I mean, clearly a team like the Thunder, you know, would benefit, you know, from a guy like Soto since we need a little bit more versatility. But I was just surprised that a guy like Kaba, who's had a ton of progressions that the Bulls haven't really been able to showcase, was the one guy that the Bulls were ultimately able to hold on to. So you know, again, did you, did you have any discussions with people as far as why they chose Soto over Kaba? I have not heard um, more than, you know, the, the, the talk that, you know, throughout the league, but I have not had any personal conversations with people why they selected Soto. Not. I, um, 
I just overall you heard from GMs that sort of seem like the guy. And I don't know if it's so much of because that combo of losing the combo of Soto and Zion together, who have been such a dynamic duo, uh, the two of them combined, if that would have the bigger impact. Um, but otherwise, I can't tell you much of the thought process of other GMs to why Soto was the guy that was released. Yeah, because I, I guess the idea is, you, want, you, you know, if, if you're trying to think tactfully, you know, Jones is kind of, he's getting to the point where he's somewhat past his prime, has a huge contract, and you sure he would be on the open market. But, you know, the Bulls being saddled with that contract is kind of on them. But I felt like Cabo was technically the better asset. So if you wanted to probably get, you know, the Bulls in a little bit more trouble, you would do that. And just being that he was a little bit younger, you know, I just I kind of just saw him as, you know, a little bit more of the alluring player to sign. So I don't obviously, of course, anybody, regardless of their cap space situation, could have done it. So I don't know if maybe some of the teams with cap space were targeting that three, four spot instead of the one, two. I mean, that's a possibility. Yeah. If you didn't really need a guard, why would you really care about that? You know, but I think the Bulls kind of dodged a bullet right there because I think they end up with the better asset that they could potentially flip. Not that Soto couldn't have been flipped, but, you know, again, you looked at last year, um, the Heat kind of over overvalued the market to where they ended up. Who did they give up? Was it Hughes and Boudreaux? Did they have both? Uh, yes. Yeah. And they, and they think who they, who are, Milo, they ended up giving Milo to the Hawks and he led him to a championship. You know, and yeah. it was a pretty, you know, scrutinized deal. Now, again, I think the small forward eligibility is where Soto has his value. But again, it's just surprising that there was, you know, an overwhelming sentiment um, for the, for people to want to hit, have him hit for agency. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's funny because I guess, again, probably regardless of whichever player it would be, since it's kind of such a thin market is, you know, I think Soto is, you know, probably what, second or third here, uh, maybe fourth, depending upon who you're looking at as far as value. And but obviously all these teams that don't have that don't end up getting Zion, um, you know, there's not a lot to choose from after that. But you know, you see, so you had 11 teams, and I think the first team, if we're looking at the Zion discussion, you can look at is you got a team like the Nets up top, you got a team like the Kings, and I think you also have uh, was it the Timberwolves, and there's one other I thought that I was looking at. I was looking at those three teams in the sense that if we're looking at how it would be a franchising move to sign him is I looked at it as those three teams are probably in the market for, look, we can max this guy and potentially flip him to the highest bidder, you know, for the best value that we can get. I don't think there are teams that probably are going to build around him, if that makes sense. Yes, I agree. I mean, especially I would say in the Kings and the Nets sake, um, I can see the Wolves maybe wanting to make that maybe more build around it just because they still have somebody like minor on the roster who is a pretty decent point guard. Um, and some of their wings are starting to grow. Um, but the Kings and Nets who are just in talent uh, search mode, I think that's what we definitely be just a flippable piece. Um, and you can maybe, maybe throw the Knicks into that, into that as well as it would. Have been. Oh yeah. I completely, sorry. I completely overlooked them too. Yeah. So, I think the Knicks might be in the same scenarios. Is it more of a, you know, value, value collection and, you know, asset collection mode if they were to lie in somebody like Zion? Yeah. And I could see them also those, the, you know, those, that group of teams, that group of four could also be in a position where, you know, those four teams potentially, if they whiff on Zion could be in the position that they would maybe overpay, you know, for a guy like Elliot or, or Soto, you know, and of course Jones, sorry, I looked at Jones. Jones is probably the second best guy in this class. So, um, 
you know, they're, they're probably going to be looking to sign and flip, but we've seen teams like the Nets not do that before. So, uh, you know, would we be shocked if we see that the Nets tried to max Zion and that was it? No, not at all. You know, so will some of these other teams, if they potentially whiff, you know, over sign guys? I mean, we saw the Kings did it last year. Kings max Jones mistakenly. Um, so would they potentially oversign some of some of the guys from this class? I think I think it's possible. You know, there's definitely some role players there. So there's some creative contracts that people can work with. But I mean, that's four teams right there that I think you're just looking at, you know, trying to sign him for the asset. But then it gets real interesting after that, because then there's seven teams that the player would have a legitimate impact for. You know, probably the lowest of that group would be the Pacers. But the Pacers are starting to build. You know, the Pacers have young talent. They've got a lot of these pieces. I mean, they nailed it in the draft. Um, I don't think they're in a position where they really want to come out of their rebuild just yet. So they're kind of on the fringe of they probably would try to flip him, I think, and stick with their current their current strategy just because I don't think they really have. Yeah, this would just be another front course piece for them. Obviously, they, they got Jerison, but they have Pete. They have a Congo. They have Bapple. Um, and, and wait, who did they, they drafted Kowalta. So they have all these guys up, up front and they're just, they don't have a lot of backcourt help. So I, I feel like he probably would, would flip the asset too, um, unless he could do maneuver stuff around. So I don't, well, think... I mean, let's not forget with, with, with the Pacers GM with Greasy, he is not afraid of, of pulling triggers and, you know, completely changing his roster mm. on the whim. So if he were to land some like Johnson, let's at least not put it completely out of the possibility that he is flipping the switch and, and, and looking for more pieces to, uh, to create a winning team with Zion at the helm. No, that's true. You're right. Because he could he could potentially keep the core pieces that he values the most and then try to acquire whatever he would need to put around him. And he might just say, look, it's a once in a, you know, once in a lifetime opportunity here to land a guy like Zion. So why not build around him while I have him? So yeah, you could easily see that. And then knowing that the Landros is starting to open up a little bit, you know, the Lions are kind of on their last leg and everyone's kind of jostling around. I mean, you got a team like the Hornets that, seem like they took a small step back you got you know a team like the nuggets who underperformed and then you have these other teams that are maneuvering so yeah i mean i guess if you if they do end up landing a guy like zion maybe they try to say you know hey we're going to make some noise sooner than later yeah um so the next team the next team i was looking at that obviously we had talked about before um that probably you know he's sneaking in right now and i guess the the one that would make the biggest impact would clearly be the rockets now, let me ask you this. Would you, I mean, and obviously you're going to get into that team as well. I agree that he would have a massive impact on the Rockets. But would you think that he would have a bigger impact with the Rockets or a bigger impact with the Sonics? Um, no, well, I guess I was just, I was just, I, I mean, if you want to look at bigger impact, I think the biggest impact is, is of course, the Sonics, but then also the Lakers, uh, sorry, the, the Celtics. Um, so yeah, yes, sorry. I if I said you. the biggest impact, I think it was more so. If we're looking at a, a fran, like if I'm looking at it as who could have the most potential franchise-changing opportunity by signing a guy like, you know, the Rockets are the up-and-coming team right now. If you look at that group, so I feel like if they end up landing a guy like Zion, it completely changes their franchise. You know, again, Wayne's been in the league for three years and could now put together a, a like a high-end team. He's gonna he would have the pieces for sure to try to make something happen. You know on that rocket squad, you know, again, I'll get to the Sonics in a second, but I just look at it as the, the most probably 
you know, alluring, interesting, you know, out of left field team would have, you know, would of course be the Rockets. But then, like you said, you know, you have a team like the, the Celtics and, and the Sonics. You know, the Sonics, it, clearly the number one team, the fact that they have Jones, you know, it'd be interesting if, if, if you knew this, if Jones was unextended due to cap situations or he just chose to do it or if he turned down the extension. Do you have any idea what happened there? I, to be honest, I don't. Uh, we were not uh, getting that information. So if he um, if he attempted, oh wait, now looking at Jones, it's possible based on his contract value that he couldn't extend him. So like, if this is a situation that it was intentionally not extended because he knew we had a shot at Zion, that's genius. So if he just yeah. wants to take credit for that at this point, the fact that that team has cap space when they still have DPJ and Watson is just incredible. So if he I got agree. if he if he did that on, on purpose. Yeah, he gets GM. He gets GM of the year consideration off the bat. Now, if it was just something where it accidentally happened, where Jones couldn't be extended, and then now he still ends up having this 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 spot. I mean, he's in a position where he could take a look at re-signing Jones. Now, I guess he would have to figure that out internally as far as how they were going to address that. But you know, yes, if you if you, if that team signs Zion, just forget about it. Yeah, it's I I agree. If they do get Zion, um, I mean, you can never say it's a foregone conclusion, but it, it's going to be tough to overlook that team. I mean, Watson's arguably sure. what still a top five player in the league, easy. And then DPJ is one of the most valued players in the league. So if you add a guy, another top five player in the league, I mean, this is this would be one of the more ridiculous super teams we've had. I mean, this is a better, bigger super team than the Bulls were. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> I, it's, it would be uh, it would be tremendous, and. Um, you know, funny enough, you know, talking, you know, Zion Johnson, seeing him, you know, in press conference, etc. There are 11 teams out there that have cap space that are, you know, trying to, uh, you know, get his services. Yet, he has not mentioned one of those teams as a potential landing spot for him. So that's, that's what makes this, throws a wrinkle in there as well, because he's going to have to make a decision that he might not have wanted to do you know, going into this offseason. Oh, that's, yeah, very true, very true. And we didn't even mention, I, I glossing over stuff, we didn't even mention the fact that the Heat have a ton of cap space. Yes, you know, the Heat have 28 million. You know, and the I Heat, mean, we know third, that third the Heat missed out on the biggest prize last year, but signed a ton of extra stuff. You know, so if the Heat end up in a position where, you know, maybe they lost out on, on Watson, and obviously people have criticized him for not being able to cash in on Watson. I mean, they could turn it right around and, you know, cash in on, on Zion. Yep. So agreed. Um, I mean, the biggest problem, the biggest problem with Zion um, right now. I mean, your your team is in the mix. Yeah, I mean, just I know you had touched on it there as far as where Zion wants to go, but I mean, (laughs) right now the problem is, you know, unrealistic expectations right now is that you know we know that it looks like Zion wants to play for the Hawks, the Bulls, or the Lions, which is just silly. Like, sorry, like the the Hawks just won a title. Pretty sure the Hawks can't clear cap space to figure that out. Um, The Bulls, obviously, unfortunately, I mean, it's it's. You know, Zion should have talked to the team about that. If he wanted to go back to the Bulls, I don't understand why, you know, the Bulls didn't try to do whatever they could to to make this happen. So, you know, I, I'm kind of lost on that. And we know that the Lions are in the mix because, of course, hey, Watson wanted to play for the Lions last year. So, of course, wouldn't Zion want to play for the Lions? But, you know, they don't have the cap. Now, could it be a situation where Zion's looking for a sign-in trade to these teams potentially? Maybe that's what his agent's trying to do. 
I don't know if those teams even have anywhere near the assets to even make that happen. So I think that's, that's probably unlikely, but we just know that the three teams that he technically wants to go to right now can't make it happen. So it really leaves a ton of stuff open. Now, I think that's why you could kind of say if, if any of this matters, it's surprising that again, the Sonics wouldn't be on that list. Um, But you know, it could be a situation where Watson's there, DPJ's there, and maybe he just feels like it's going to be, it's going to be a little bit too much, or maybe he just doesn't want to go over to the Maynard. But, um, but again, the fact that we don't really know and we have no inkling of where it's going to be, you know, so we talked about the heat, the heat, the heat would benefit from, I, you know, I don't think that heat would keep him like we talked about some of the other teams, but again, they would be basically be able to recoup what they would have been able to get with Watson. So, you know, that would be a huge get for them. Um, the thunder, uh, the thunder, of course, I mean, heck, we need the scoring. So, you know, if you talk about a franchise changing move, uh, yeah, I mean, of course it would, it would make us significantly better than we're at now. Um, we have obviously some front court players right now, but again, we've talked about the redundancy that Duckworth and Kazri. Now, Kazri uh, in the offseason, man, this guy's been putting up shots. He's got an, a, a moves that we haven't seen from him before. He's been working hard from the line. Like, we're going to see a different Kazri this coming season than we've seen before. And I don't think people are ready for it. I think people are just kind of used to what his game might have used to been. But, you know, we're expecting a really nice scoring boost out of him. Uh, and of course, you know, we got the defensive kind of low post ability here of, of Duckworth that we like. So Zion would fit right in the, into that mix. You know, that would be great. We need the scoring. You know, right now, our point guard looks to be our best scorer, you know, aside from Kazri's kind of improvement. And I feel like we'd be able to put a really balanced roster around him right off the bat. You know, so the, the Maynard is still in, in, in crazy mode. Now, we know that there's some news out of the Jazz, that the, the Jazz are potentially looking to move some people. The Hawks are going to, you know, be running it back. You know, the Suns lost lost um lost jack and almost didn't miss a beat in the playoffs they kind of exceeded what i thought they would and of course you still got the sonics out there so the maynard's going to be a bloodbath so if anybody in the maynard ends up signing zion and maybe that's a reason why he doesn't necessarily um like a team like the sonics so to speak but uh but i mean again we're talking about how, how it would change things i mean yes it would have a dramatic impact on you know on our team which again you know, looking past that, if another team that it would be one would be the Celtics. You know, the Celtics called their shot on this one. So, I mean, he literally called a shot. So if somehow he ends up, you know, getting the top pick and ends up getting Zion, I mean, would, would be absolutely incredible and such a huge swing, you know, for the Celtics, which, again, they were, you know, regardless of getting the top pick, what, they were, what, one game out here? Of yes. making the playoffs? And it came down right. in the last few days? I mean, they have all the pieces in place. So it's just, you know, and it was almost even incredibly fortuitous almost for, for them to miss by that one game. I mean, um, just just injecting Prodder into that roster in that conference yes. is massive. Now, we know that they have Frey, so they're going to probably have to figure out what they're going to do with Frey. It, 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 he seems to be the odd man out and the guy that they want to kind of move stuff around with. Well, I guess... Oh, well, all right. This would be if he signed Zion. Yeah. Cause right now, right now he's got a pretty established two through five, you know, regardless, despite what they might necessarily do with Haitian, but yeah, if they end up signing Zion, then I think Frey would be the, the odd man out. But I mean, yeah. regardless is that team is already looking like they're going to be ready to go this coming season. So if you just add Zion to a court of Brandon Anthony and Prodder, I mean, that's a, that's a really nice looking team moving forward in the, in the Landros. Oh, and that case, do if you have those, I mean, do you use Dre or 
to then land a point guard that you can, you know, that's going to fill out that, that roster. Oh, it's possible. I mean, obviously, we, we you know, that trade had, has kind of worked out for us, just more so because Frey kind of has done what we thought he would pretty much do, you know, over in Boston. Um, obviously, what we shipped him to the, to the Clippers in that trade. And, you know, again, we're happy with Drayton and Duckworth, and that kind of panned out. It could have gone really south based upon overall value because Jasper hasn't really done much, but you know, Frey kind of is who he is. He's going to give you scoring. He's probably, you, you're going to, if he's your best player, that's probably a problem. I mean, here's a team that has brand who took a huge leap this past season and looks to just be even better. And they already have Anthony and they missed the playoffs. Like, I don't understand how this team missed the playoffs in the Landro. So maybe because, yeah. because Haitian went down, but you know, again, they weren't trying to miss, so to speak, if you wanted to point that finger at the thunder, but it's just funny about how how much more of a lightning rod we were. And at the end of the day, one of the teams that you definitely didn't want to miss the playoffs missed the playoffs and got the top pick and could get Zion. What a turn of events right there. Yeah. What a turn of events right there. I mean, so you talked about that, you know, after Zion and, you know, let's, let's call him the big three as in, you know, Zion, uh, Larry Jones Jr., and Percy Soto, there's not much after. But if I if I go through the list, there's some tasty pieces that you can use as your you know as your one two two spot. Because if you look at the at the point guard class coming out, you got Marcos on there, Francis, Creasy, Haitian, um, and Barkley. I mean, so there there are some pieces right there that certain teams that when in a point guard starved league uh, could really use. Yeah, no, there's definitely there's definitely useful pieces. I guess I was more so looking at it as far as, you know, high impact. Um, but we saw a guy like even Kennington. Kennington got arguably overpaid last season and and was still dealt. You know, so yeah. if we're looking at if, if there is somewhat of a of a value placed on point guards lately, yeah, some of these guys might have a little bit more value. Um now I, I would re- I would be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that there was there was one team that we left out here when it came to the Zion sweepstakes. All right, let's talk about the Lakers. <laughs> oh, so you, so you knew that we were doing this. <laughs> uh, I mean, what can we say? I, I really don't know what is going on with that roster other than the fact that he seems like he – obviously, he, he drafts well. Um, he's, that, that the team has young talent. Uh, they did well in the draft this past season. I don't know how much better these guys got. I think they would have wanted a little bit better progressions out of the guys they took last year in Jackson and Carter. But, I mean, there's a team that, you know – they would be interesting in the sense that I feel like they would have Zion and then they would make crazy trades to try to for sure compete with Zion. And I feel like it just wouldn't put them over. Like, I well, feel like the thing right there is looking right at the bat. Go, he, he would go away. He would go all in. And, and I feel like he would fail because of the way they go about things. But I mean, the fact that they have, I mean, new Jacks, um, Obid, uh, they got, you know, like I said, Sean Jackson too. Like they've got a core. Like he would definitely make an impact on that team. But you know, for all the times that they've been having cap space for how long, you know, it would be this would be an interesting one. And we know that you know personally, this is one of his probably more loved players of all time. So it would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, but looking at, looking at that roster, you know, if you do land Zion, and now you have Zion. New, obeyed, and Steckley, somebody's got to go. 
Well, I mean, it, you, you're not holding on to all of these guys when you have, I mean, like Steckley would, could be a pretty decent trade chip to get you something else on the wing spot, which you desperately need at that point. This well, that's point. what I think. I think he would be the kind of GM that would use these pieces that are valuable to overpay for something he likes. That's what he does. Yeah. So he would, he would take one of these guys that he feels like he doesn't need and would overpay for something else that he targets. And we know that it's going to be whatever he wants to throw at them, plus however many picks. And, you know, and then Kyle snuck without a lottery pick again. Yeah, uh, that's, <laughs> that, that is true. But, I mean, he, he, with, with that said, though, it's not like, you know, Kyle had to give up a lot to, to, to get those picks. So he's not really losing anything on it. Um, but I'm just trying to figure out how on earth the Heat can figure out a way to piss off the Lakers in this UFA. <laughs> Um, to make sure that the Lakers are now trading the 53 and 54 as well somehow. Um, well, the, the I, Heat I just getting the Heat just right getting now. Zion would be enough. I mean, at this yeah, point. that's that that yeah. might be the only way. Um, but yeah, it's as I said, the Lakers have pieces as well, and you know, at some point they're going to have to try to do something with it. So if 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 it takes Zion, to, I mean, if it if Zion can't get it done, then I don't know if any player can get them to actually push all in. Yeah, because if uh, one last look, I want to take a look at their team because they're they're getting into a position where eventually these guys are going to have to get paid. You know, he's going to have to pay some of these guys. Well, not necessarily. He only has Jack's paid, Obed's young, Steckley. So, I mean, he can ride this out for another few seasons. And if they don't get Zion, I feel like that's what they're going to do. I I, I could see this team, regardless of him not having his pick, I just they don't seem to want to go overboard and add pieces or, tr- you know, trade for stuff or give up that cap space. So he's probably targeting somebody three seasons from now with his cap space if he misses out on Zion. Yeah, what's, what's sad to see that with that is because you look at this roster and you know a guy like New Jackson is just – I mean, there's so many GMs drooling at the bits to have a player like that. Or Steckley. <laughs> yeah, it was same, same with Steckley, I agree. And to have them sitting on that, on that roster that's just not, you know – they're there, but they're not doing anything. It's just, I think, you know, it's going to be driving some GMs crazy. Agreed. Agreed. So, um, now, one other thing that we, you know, could discuss real quick, you know, with the amounts of cap space certain teams have, you know, for instance, you know, the Lakers have over 20 million, but if they do sign Zion, it leaves yeah. them at seven. That doesn't give them a ton of, you know, things they can sign as a second guy. Uh, same thing with the Pacers. The Nets would have about eight million to play with. Um, but then if you look at the Heat, Knicks, and Kings, they could sign a second person, you know, a second player for, you know, the 12 to $13 range, which will get you a decent player. So they could end up in a scenario where they could pick up two impact players. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a, a – I mean, the the real big thing is that those, those teams, you know, are going to be more so in the mode of flipping. You know, the, the way the Heat were last year, where they were just signing as many guys as they can to get back whatever they can. But it, it's nice to see at least, you know, we didn't really sum up the draft or, or give any sort of grades. You know, you could say that, you know, a couple of teams like the Pacers and the Heat really did well. But, you know, if you actually look at just the top 10 picks, it's, it's you know, the draft ended up playing out in a way that, you know, we thought it could, where I think everyone seems to be happy. You know, everyone has like, there's a lot of teams that were, you know, in the, in the Maynard, especially that were, you know, Darth of talent. You know, you got, you know, the, the Timberwolves have an increase in talent. The Kings actually have some players. So it's like, the, it, I guess if, if I also come 
add that to this potential free agent class, if any of these teams that have the cap space are able to sign Zion, and it's not like the team like the Sonics, you know, a team like the Sonics, a team like the Celtics, uh, even my Thunder or, you know, the Rockets, is, these are teams that could really use him and then be really good, is that, you know, these teams, we're, we're still going to probably try to do that anyway. You know, so if you get any of these teams right now that are kind of starting to start over and could get a guy like Zion and just speed that up further, it just means that, you know, this bottom that we're seeing from however bad these teams were last year just can't be as bad. I mean, the Heat obviously had no talent. They got a guy like Kubowick. If that guy plays, they're going to score some points. You know, like he's got – I don't think he has a lot of other guys around him, but I guess what I'm saying is, you know, one of these teams would have Zion for a little bit. Um, like you said, they could potentially sign other guys. You know, so the fact that these teams that are bad, if they make the effort to sign extra pieces and – things that are potentially flippable, you know, it just means that things are balancing out more. Yeah. You know, it's a very long winded way of saying that the good, good job by a lot of these bad teams to just be improving. Like everyone's getting better. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, to the most, to the most degree. Yes. Um, I, I don't know if we can say anything about the Knicks, but uh, when it comes to getting better anytime soon, but at least they put themselves in a the spot to where, you know, they have some assets that they can play with now and hopefully, you know, have a little bit of lot of luck themselves. Uh, but overall, as I, the guys that got to just pick, as he said, in this draft, everybody should have some kind of impactful play on the team that was drafting the top 10. I will maybe say that, you know, the, um, I think the Wolves could have done better, not necessarily with their picks, but the fact that they, you know, ended up with, with the unknown of a Thunder draft pick versus, you know, the sure thing in the, in the Western Jerison, for instance, if that's who, who the guy that would have picked. Um I, I would have liked to see the Wolves add that player instead of the pick, but maybe that's just my opinion. I don't know how you feel about that. Well, I, I, the one of the overlooked things I think about that trade, to be honest, is I don't even think Dwayne Carter's – Dwayne Carter's not bad at all. No. Dwayne Carter's like a, a decent-looking two if you just look at it from an offensive standpoint. I mean, that guy's 20 years old. If he was in this draft, he's almost drafted at that spot. Yeah. If you look at him offensively, as far as, you know, I guess he doesn't give you anything defensively, but he's not, he has good positional. So it's like, he's probably a top 15 pick, you know, so I, I, I close to it. So I think just the inclusion of that, I believe was probably to give him the added cap space and was necessary, but he probably could have just gone out there and advertised. I'm giving this guy away. If that was his goal of, of getting the cap. Now, again, he, we, he was going to take Leecher. So theoretically is, if if Leecher ends up being not as good as what he gets with with the Thunder pick, you know, then it's a loss. But you know, again, it's, yeah. it's, it's it's a very small likelihood that the Thunder land a guy like Zion. And again, with a less impactful free agency, I just don't think there's any way that the Thunder are going to make that big of a leap where it's not like a top fifteen pick. You know, with how no, the main is. So so it's like it, it it is a risk. And I mean, if he wants to gamble on the fact that someone in the in the in the Maynard does something crazy and then the Thunder are somehow in the ninth spot. I mean, I I, I get it. You know, it's it's an it's an it's a weird overpay for a bad pick. I guess is what you'd say, but it's yeah. whatever. And I mean, I guess it's one of one of the things I do want to add is you know we've been we've been lar- lar- largely criticized in the past for influencing things. You know, so to be honest, when it comes to this free agent cl- class, I would just be. I would prefer to almost be reactful. I don't even know if that's a word. <laughs> then, <laughs> then, then, then he just made it sort one. of like, you know, like, you know, it is, it's, it's, uh, I don't want to 
influence teams in any direction. And, you know, that's what led to the demise of the podcast in the first place. So I think when we just talk about teams with cap space and things that they should do and things that they could do, I think this is pretty vague, you know, but we start getting into specifics and, you know, it's, and it ends up being something that maybe someone wasn't looking at that now we kind of tip them off to. I really don't want to go in that direction. So when we talk about specific players, I think it's pretty obvious who the good ones are. Um, but when it comes to the rest of the group, you know, I think let's let people figure it out for themselves. I, I agree with you on that note. I mean, the one thing I think that we can all agree on, and I think all our listeners agree on that, you have 11 teams that all have enough money to put um, towards Zion, and I would be absolutely shocked if not all 11 teams use that money towards Zion. Oh, agreed. Agreed. So I think I think we can keep it at that, but this will be interesting to see what what teams A, that whiff on Zion do with their money, and the team that does get Zion, what other moves they can make, unless that is their impact guy, for, as you said, with the Sonics or the Celtics, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, anyway, uh, we're actually running out of time here, so this is a good way, good way to segment out of this show. Um, I really appreciate you coming on again. It's been great to have you back you know, with us for, for this extended amount of time and to give you your expertise on what is a pretty exciting offseason. So I appreciate you coming. Oh, I agree. And thank you so much. And the one last thing I'd like to add is that, you know, one of the more exciting things is going to be is, you know, we've talked a lot about everything leading up to this point. But once that first domino falls, once that first one goes, you know, you talked about cap space. There's a lot of teams with cap. There's a lot of teams looking to do weird stuff and dump bad contracts. And now you have 11. Well, you're going to have 10 people there, you know, regardless of who they end up signing, that they're going to be able to take on cap. Some people still have expirings. So I think you're just going to see a bonkers amount of trades happen. Once Zion falls. Yes. And that just gets me excited as I get to talk to him on every show. So I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to see all the activity. Uh, and I know that, you know, um, a GM like my brother, like Andre with the Knicks, you know, who loves to trade uh, anything is going to be looking forward to, to that portion of the season. So, uh, Gulay, thank you so much for coming. Good luck this off season for you. Hope you get, you know, your shot at Zion. Um, and we're looking forward to having you back soon. Thanks as always. All right, KBBL, stay classy.